Welcome to the ICC Podcast, Intelligence Career Conversations. I'm your host, Jim Donnelly, and I'm delighted to introduce our distinguished guest for today's episode, Peter Kant. As the CEO of Enabled Intelligence, an AI firm dedicated to assisting both governments and commercial clients, Peter brings with him a wealth of expertise. His extensive leadership background spans across both the public and private sectors, making him a true authority in the field. Peter, welcome to the podcast. Pleasure to be here, Jim. Great. Well, let's let's jump right in. Um, I'll start off, Peter, with the question: What inspired you to work in national security? Uh, I've been interested in uh, in the public sector and in some way serving my country uh, since it was probably instilled in me from my parents and as a kid. Um, Went to school uh, studying politics and economics, got my degree, master's degree in public policy and economics, um, started my career in the government, uh, worked in Congress, the Texas state legislature, and then in the Clinton White House. Um, so it's just sort of a natural progression once I moved into the private sector to really focus in on national security and, and public mission. Great. Uh, what do you think uh, the intelligence community will look like in 10 to 20 years from now, Peter? I think there'll be a whole lot more focus on uh, analyzing. I mean, needless to say, for the intelligence community, analysis is is the name of the game and it is what differentiates great intelligence versus subpar intelligence. Um, but a whole lot of intelligence up for a number of decades and years is really focused on creating sensors and ways to collect intelligence and collect information and data. Now we have so much information and data, we're so awash in it, it's really a question of how do we, how does one curate, go through and truly analyze from all these different sources of data, or almost awash in information, but how do you turn that, all that information into intelligence? I think 10 to 15 years from now, a lot of the, the, uh, technology development that's going on today in innovation will be focused on not so much how to collect more information, but how to understand what we're already collecting. Very good. Great, great insight. Um, what professional experiences or even non-professional experiences led you to your current position? Uh, it's a great question, Jim, and it's, it's really almost so many of my experiences led to this point. Um, basically, the journey to enable intelligence started uh, six, seven years ago when I was at the Stanford Research Institute, a large nonprofit uh, R&D lab founded by Stanford University back in the 40s, does a lot of work for DARPA and IARPA and, and the intelligence community and DOD in terms of, of technology development. And SRI has some wonderful artificial intelligence labs, everything from natural language processing where they invented Siri, um, sold it to Apple, to some of the first computer vision models ever invented. And But one of the things that just kept happening was the government was very interested in using, especially in the intelligence community, using AI technologies. But many of these technologies were being developed in the commercial sector, and they worked with commercial data that would be pristine or easy to collect, or like, hey, I need to find stop signs for driverless vehicles. When you tried to apply those techniques to um, intelligence data, like I need satellite imagery of Russian air orders of battle, or I want to find out how many, you know, what the damage assessment is for for uh, from some location, or I'm listening to natural language, but in Russian, um, there wasn't commercial product or technology that really met that. And it came down to being a source issue. The data was was good, but there wasn't the expertise in the U.S. 
um, to annotate, turn that data into usable training and test data for AI technologies. Uh, in the commercial sector, that kind of work, data annotation labeling happens with low-cost labor overseas. Someone's, you know, people in India are clicking a whole bunch of images and showing where all the stop signs are so the driver's vehicle can learn how to do stop signs. Well, we're not going to send our spy imagery, you know, satellite imagery overseas and have them, you know, point out all the new Russian, uh, the Chinese bombers. Um, sure, China would love us to do that, but yeah. we won't. So these technologies just were not, there was a whole lot of promise, but not deployed from this very basic issue of, you know, a labor force that could handle, do this type of data annotation work, which is technically proficient, you know, technical proficiency, credible attention to detail, um, uh, pattern recognition, puzzle solving skills, but it's staring at a screen all day. Um, and so someone who thrives in that sort of repetitive but needle in a haystack toward sort of a looking uh, analysis. And I had read of a program, uh, again, when I was uh, work, I was leading another computer vision company that was an Incutel portfolio company. And we were looking for some help. And I read about this program in Israel where the Israeli Defense Forces, everyone in Israel does two years, almost everyone in Israel does two years of military service. And they have a neurodiverse population, those on the autism spectrum. Who were of course, and they were trying to figure out, well, where, how can we best utilize and deploy these folks? And they were putting them in um, the cyber defense and cybersecurity battalions, not all of them, but they were uh, oversampling for that, because what they needed is someone who was people who were technically proficient, who could look through lines and lines and lines of computer code to find vulnerabilities, gaps, errors, things like that. So it was repetitive, but technically proficient, pattern recognition, um, and detail orientation. And they were incredibly good at it. They are incredibly good at it. So I said, well, we knew this data AI problem, data annotation problem, which needed this sort of skill set. We have an underemployed population here in the U.S. that are neurodiverse um, and this huge need. Why don't we mush that together? So from experience I had in helping develop AI technologies, SRI, trying to deploy them at my the private company, um, public, you know, the private AI company that we were building. And then this knowledge from the, the government sector, of what the Israelis were doing mush all that together, and that's what creates enabled intelligence, where we use, we hire neurodiverse professionals to come in, and they are analyzed, they're U.S. citizens, many with clearances, and we can get them cleared, and they can handle this sort of very exacting, technically proficient, subject matter expert type work, um, but be very detail-oriented, focus on accuracy, precision, and that needle in the haystack kind of work. But it's, you know, it's a, it's a unique work environment that they, many of them thrive in. Oh, that, that's a, a great example, and it resonates with me from, you know, from the town acquisition uh, background I have, and just even creating a diverse uh, background, putting these folks work. That's outstanding. Um, what are the major differences between working in the intelligence community in the public and, and in the private sector, would you say, Peter? Um, so the, the the mission is still foremost, I would say, you know, Private sector companies working in the intelligence community is, I assume that's your question is what is it like working on the private? Okay. So, um, there's a public sector side of it. You know, private sector, you have, of course, the profit motive, um, running a business. There's those, those pieces which do not, the budget sensitivities and financial management that's needed in the public sector are different. Um, there's just different elements there. You're still trying to be very considerate of taxpayer dollars. Um, but that profit motive and, and being a business is, is of course, one uh, driver. Um, the other, what's interesting, though, is the trade-off comes from a lot of flexibility 
and um, thoughtfulness that can happen in the private sector where you can try new things a little bit faster. But that's also because you, even though you're working in the intelligence community, you may be working on a smaller portion of the problem. So the risk that you're introducing with new innovation is relatively small, whereas in the public sector, you certainly want that innovative approach in those new technologies, new, new, new procedures or processes, but you have to assess those with the larger risk profile that you're taking on in running those large, in running that effort from a public sector side. And I find those, both of those challenges fascinating. Um, there's just different, you know, ways of, uh, of focusing on an issue and understanding those different risks. Um, neither is better than the other, but, you know, it's been fun being on both sides and seeing how that works. Great. Um, another question for you. What's one thing you wish someone had told you when you were five to ten years into your career, uh, Peter? <laughs> it's always the fun question. Um, yeah. Um, well, one, it would be nice to know that we weren't all going to become James Bond. I thought we were going to, you know, I was going to be the super, you know, James Bondy guy and, you know, hang out with the pretty people and make a lot of money at Baccarat in Monaco. But it, that's not how the intelligence community apparently works for everyone. We don't all get to be Daniel Craig. But um, uh, more seriously, uh, I think the main question is that, I've taken a very bouncy or circuitous path to where I've, I've landed, but each bounce or bend in the road has been positive and a learning experience and, and not just positive as a learning experience, but even positive experience and a learning experience. And all of it has been additive to get where I am today and sort of having that patience understanding to make the most of where you are at the moment is the way to get to wherever it is you're going to want to be at the end or, or in the career and not, be so focused on where does this get on my next step and how does this achieve the next job that you'll you know do a good job where you are and make the most of where you are and sort of the future takes a little bit care of itself. But how about if you were talking to someone right now who is in college or just starting their career and wants to pursue a career in IC, what advice would you give them? First and foremost, I would say is be, be, sure that you um, are committed to the mission. Now, I just mean being patriotic and, and like, but that, you know, this is the intelligence community is both a, a job and, and somewhat of a lifestyle. But but what drives everyone, whether it's in the private sector, or the nonprofit sector, or the public sector working in the IC is a commitment to mission. And that's a huge driver um, of activity, performance, even how businesses make decisions how the public sector and it and so yes there's technological the nice part about working in the IC or the public sector in general is the problems and the, the challenges that you work on and the missions that you work on are huge you know we're not trying to put you know find an AI that puts mustaches on kittens we're trying to really help people and you know respond to natural disasters or, or prevent a loss of life these are critical missions and so from a problem step standpoint technically they're exceedingly challenging and very fun but you need to be committed to the mission. And so um, I, I that just making sure that that's a driver for why you're joining, wanting to join the IC. Would that advice be the same for someone maybe who is five to 10 years into their experience and is looking to get into the uh, IC? It, most definitely. I would say you're coming in the IC. It's, it, it's a mission forward community. And um, that, 
that supersedes most thought process. You know, that it's at least tant- you know paramount in most thought processes and strategic decisions, regardless of whether you have a profit motive underlying you or you have the public sector mission as well. Um, that it's just it's just a huge portion of what makes this culture and this market work. Um, and, and I think it's critical to assess that coming in. Good. Um, how about what recommendations would you provide students? Are those thinking going back to school or specializing in a new field? How to decide what intelligence discipline is right for them within the IC? I'm a I'm a not a great person to well answer that question, or maybe I'm a good person to answer that question from this perspective, which is. I have my entire career been a generalist. You know, as we talked about earlier, I started as in politics, doing public policy, economic policy and the like. I even worked at the Department of Agriculture for a period of time in the Texas State Legislature. And now I'm leading an AI company doing intelligence work. Um, so with I'm not and I'm not a technologist. So the, the reason I tell that background is. The key skills when going back to, you know, going back to school is. Problem solving, communication skills, writing skills, um, strong analytical skills are, are critical to any of these, whether you're going to go be a computer programmer, uh, uh, an AI developer, um, an image analyst, or a, an IC agency lead or a business lead. Um, all of those skill sets are critical. And you know, especially technical skills in school are the foundation but not the end. And so you're building a foundation of things when you go back to school, but you're not going to walk out and like be the top ex technician ever lived at IARPA um, because you went back to school. That's just the foundation. What you do professionally then adds to that. And so making sure that foundation is very broad and strong in those problem solving, analytical and communication skills to me is very important. Great. No, I think that's great. Um, another one of my fun questions to ask folks, Peter, is what's the best career advice you've received? And on the flip side, what's some of the worst uh, uh, advice you've received? So um, years and years ago, when I was in grad school, um, one of my professors was a professor of the practice who had taken who had been an undersecretary in the government and led a lot for management in one of the large you know, federal agencies. And I was talking to him about you know, my career. And at that point, I think I still fancied myself as being a future White House chief of staff. So, so how does one become a deputy secretary? How does one get to these positions? You know, what does it look like? And and he brought up that, look, all of these, one is if you look look at the resumes of the people, look at what the people who have those positions now that you want, what are they like? And for me, there were people who had been in the private sector, the public sector, the nonprofit sector, had strong either policy or operational chops or management chops, um, and had bounced around a little bit because they were running large organizations. Um, and he said, what you really need to focus on is, you know, where are you going to learn strategic management skills, strategy skills, financial management skills, and people management skills? How are you going to learn how to set the direction of an organization, figure out how to fund it, and figure out how to, you know, motivate and bring people along with or drive them to help you figure out what that mission should be and then achieve it? And every job you should take should teach you one of, you know, you should be practicing or learning what skills in those areas. Otherwise, don't take no matter how much the money is. And that sort of stuck with me. And so it's the best advice because it's what stuck with me the most. Sometimes I listened to it. Sometimes I didn't. But um, so that that was the advice that I used. And it's been a very helpful rubric as I've gone through and assessed where, where to go next or what I've been doing in my career up to, to where I am today. 
Um, worst advice? I don't know. I mean, um, I, I have a hard time thinking of what that is. Um, I mean, I can think back to my grandmother who didn't understand why I didn't become a doctor, but, uh, uh, I wouldn't have been a very good doctor. Uh, but now my, my daughter is about ready to head off to medical school. She'll, she'll carry on that mantle for the family. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have a good bad advice story. Well, that's fine. We touch upon a number of these, but what skills have been most beneficial to you, uh, Peter? So for me, what's I think been most helpful, and I'll go back to that problem solving and analytical skills and more so the analytical skills. And this is especially the case in the intelligence community where analysis basically is what we do. Um, going when, when presented with information, trying to figure out, you know, having the the analytical skills to look at, okay, what are the drivers of this information? What are the biases within it? You know, it points to one conclusion right away, but am I jumping ahead? Is there something in my back, you know, how can I bring in more perspectives to this to get a broader look at what this information or what this data or what, what the situation bears? And really trying to break down the analysis into what is the root cause of the issue, the challenge, the problem, the mission we're trying to solve or whatever it is. And what is the end result that we want to get to? And then what are the building blocks that address that versus, you know, what's been done before or what's on our current shelf of tool or to a current toolkit to address it. And that's where I believe the innovation and new thought processes come in. Um, is that ability to like break down a problem and say, what is really the root? What are we trying to solve for here? And, um, or try to fix or try to improve. And when you start with that at a deep analytical level, the rest of it then you can bring to bear. And that's, that's, I think, a critical um, skill set to bring to, especially to the IC. Okay. Uh, where or what did you turn to for continuous learning or skill development, Peter? Uh, so lots of reading. Uh, that's uh, just a thing. Um, maybe too much, but uh, not, I mean, it's not too much reading. But every once in a while I get too much probably on the fiction side, but uh, a lot of reading. Um, my biggest form of continuous learning has been meeting, working with smart people, um, meeting with, seeing how others uh, tackle issues, what expertise they bring, what they want from their perspective. Um, to me, innovation of thought and innovation in general comes from diversity of thought and surrounding yourself and finding that times where you can find people who are not like yourself, who are different, who can bring different perspectives. That's where you learn. That's what you, whom you learn from and when you learn from, uh, where, where you learn and when you're in those situations. Um, and so, uh, I've been very fortunate to be surrounded by people in places where I worked who just very intelligent, very inquisitive, intellectually curious and bring a lot of different perspectives, um, very diverse workforces that I've been uh, able to work with. And that's, that's been wonderful because it's sort of let given me the space, not the space, but modeled for me the, the benefit of bringing a whole bunch of different perspectives to a challenge and really breaking it down um, as a way of solving it versus, you know, I learned, you know, the best coder I ever worked with was X and therefore everything I know about coding is from X. I, I don't have that that background. So that's that's what I would say is where I, my continuous learning has been surrounding, you know, trying to put myself in situations where I really get to learn from the people around me. No, that's I think that's fabulous. Great. Um, did you have a mentor, sponsor, or an ally, and how did they affect your uh, role in professional development, Peter? Oh, well, I told a story about um, that professor I had back in, in Duke in grad school um, as as a starting point. Um, 
I've been very fortunate that each place, every place that I've worked, I've found someone or someones who I could glom onto or watch what they're doing and learn from them. Um, so I wouldn't, there wasn't a main, you know, lodestar that I said, oh, I always, you know, what would, what would so-and-so do in this situation and, and, and go from there? Um, uh, whether it's been my parents at some point or previous, you know, number of previous jobs, some work colleagues, I've had people who, who work with me, um, uh, who work for me, uh, where I learned from them. Um, and they're like, wow, they've really got themselves together on maximizing what their work-life balance or, you know, what they're getting out of their job. So, I, I don't have a, that specific mentor person. Um, I've been very fortunate to work with a lot of great people who taught me things. Great. Outstanding. What do you see as the biggest workforce challenge facing the IC now? I would say we are in a situation from an IC perspective where we cannot over manpower, overspend our current adversaries. China is a big, has a big population and soon to have a lot, even more money. So we have to maximize what we get out of our workforce, every part of our workforce. We can, you know, leave no person behind kind of element. And that means that we have to learn how to work as an IC with a much more diverse workforce than we typically have. Um, because there's a whole lot of untapped value in people that haven't traditionally, we haven't traditionally brought into the IC or have joined the IC who we need. You know, at a microcosm level, we have it at, at enabled intelligence with the neurodiverse population that we're maximizing that typically, you know, may not have overtly, um, there's plenty of neurodiverse professionals in the, in the IC, but we haven't leveraged them purposefully as, as we may be doing here. But more broadly, just, um, you know, the typical IC, former DOD, analyst type or person um, that it's looked like for the last you know few decades, we need a lot more diversity of thought and a lot more diversity of people if we're going to take on um, the IC challenges in front of us with a state level actor with the resources um, that we're up against. Uh, one last question, just a segue off of that, Peter, uh, what changes do you hope to see implemented that would attract a talented, diverse pipeline in the IC community? I would like to see the IC you know, play to its strengths in terms of drawing a diverse um, workforce, which is, uh, and I mean thoughtfully diverse, and diverse in almost all of its its definitions. Um, the mission, what this country has been about, and what it's at least trying to strive to be, and the mission that we have as a as an IC community is exceedingly powerful um, to a lot of people. Whether you're, you know, you know a traditional uh, elite in the U.S. who's benefited from the culture to someone who stri strive to immigrate here or came from a family that has immigrated here um, looking to bent, looking to hopefully make a better life. The, the call of the mission of the IC is very similar to the call and mission of the country. And I would like this to see us leverage that. And remember, that's what this is about. That's who we're trying to attract and use that as a way of bringing people in. And use that as also forward as a way of assessing who's coming in. Maybe they don't look like us. Maybe they look different. Maybe their educational background is slightly different or they bring a different set of school skill sets. But if they're committed to that mission, there's value there. And I, I would like to see an IC that leverages that. And, and I think drawing, 
using mission forward is a way of attracting that talent, but also reminding those who are making decisions of who to bring in, why we're bringing them in. And, and yes, there's value just to folks that maybe as long as they're committed to the mission, that can help. Okay, great answer. And uh, we, just, Peter, we sincerely appreciate having you on our podcast today. Uh, and we're truly grateful for your willingness to share your valuable experience as well as insight uh, with us. Uh, so for today, that will conclude our podcast. I want to thank Peter again and for everybody listening. Have yourself a great rest of the day. Thank you, Jim. Thank you.